Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Well, how are you? Well, uh, man. It's really good to be in front of you, be with you today. Uh, today is uh, our conversation about Cuba. Uh, some of you are aware that uh, my wife and I and Adam Lugers uh, embarked on a journey to the island down under, about 90 miles south of Florida. And uh, we were on a mission trip. And the American mindset for, or the American church mindset of a mission trip seems to be uh, a trip that is a work and witness trip, and, and kind of, in my opinion, more work than witness, where you're muscling dirt, you're pouring concrete, you're building walls, you're putting roofs up. If you have any electrical skills at all, you're, you're wiring things. And you may have a vacation Bible school for the kids. Cuba's a little bit different. It's a different type of trip. In fact, um, I would compare it to what Paul does in the book of Acts around his second journey, Acts chapter 16, where he kind of retraces his steps that he had been before to Derby, to Lystra, to Iconium, cities that he had visited previously, where he went to churches and he checked with the leaders and the congregants and he had conversations and he prayed over them and he resourced them and he taught them. Cuba is that type of trip. It's dubbed kind of an encouragement trip because quite frankly, the congregations and the pastors and the leaders in the churches in Cuba, one of their greatest needs that they have is the need for encouragement. It is a gift in Scripture, but it's also something that all of us need at one time or another. We just need lifted. We need elevated from where we are. Because we often see the reality, and that's all we see, right? Encouragement allows us, enables us, and empowers us to know that there's a hope and a future. As the prophet laid out, and as God lays out. And so Cuba was a mission trip where we traversed the western shoulder of Cuba, the island, and we went to one seminary, to 22 churches, and met about 30 different pastors and their families and their congregations. And it was all about encouragement. 
Now, many of you were a part of the trip, even though you weren't there, because you packed a lot of items that went with us, whether it was utensils for the kitchen, whether it was hygienic material, whether it was medications for kids or adults, clothes, shoes, eyeglasses. Those are means of encouragement as well. Because when you step on the island and you begin to get into the lives of the people around you, you realize that many of those folks have very, very little. In fact, while we were on the trip, I noticed one of the people that was traveling with us on the bus only had two outfits over the course of a week. And so what you did was encourage the people as we would go from church to church and meet family and family, we had suitcases upon suitcases of shoes, of eyeglasses, of all of those things, and that we were able to gift those pastors and their families with almost the same type of items. Ladies and, and kids and pastors were able to pull shoes that fit for them. But what's more encouraging than items... What's more encouraging than glasses, shoes, coffee, is presence. It's people. And being present with them, knowing that you've traveled so far to be with them, was the greatest encouragement that they could receive. Because I'm sure many of us understand that when we are in our situations, we feel like we're the only one in that situation. But when somebody else enters in that situation with you, you somehow realize you're not alone. You're not doing this by yourself. And that's what it means to be a brother and sister in Jesus Christ, to be a part of a community called the church because we can't do it alone. Life is already hard enough, right? But when you receive Jesus and His Spirit enters your life, you become a part of a community called the church. And that community is a global community. And it's very evident when you step inside one of these Cuban churches, that they see you as their brother or sister. That term in the back of some of Paul's letters called holy kiss, it's a real thing. Where they come and embrace you and they kiss you on the side of your cheek. They greet you as if you are bonded by something greater than anything that we can provide. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. You're bonded by that same blood. And I hope you sense that. And so I would like to invite uh, my friend, Mr. Lugers. <laughs> nah, bro, you can't do it from there. <laughs> this is Adam. Come on up, my friend. There we go. What's up, dude? This looks like Cuba garb. 
It is. All right. So, uh, I know Adam doesn't word well. Uh, I don't word well either. He was a little worried about being up here in front of you. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, I'm going to do my best to stay with the script, okay? But I do want to ask a couple questions, if that's okay. No, not at all. <laughs> it's not okay. Uh, ha- had you ever been on a mission trip? No. Why Cuba? Honestly, I don't know. I I wanted to do it when I came to church before, and then I left church for I don't know about three years, and I wasn't able to. I couldn't afford it the first time around, and the day that I came back was the day that you announced that we was going to do it again. So it just seemed right. I remember you walking up to me that Sunday after service. You had this intense look in your eyes and like you were going to make this happen come hell or high water. Um, Do you speak Spanish? No. Okay. I can say hola. Speaking of which, roll the clip. Would you mind? <laughs> Hopefully it'll work. And drum roll, please. You got it back there, Brandon? <laughs> Whole congregation's waiting on you, my friend. You got it? No? Yeah, there's a picture in there. There's a video at the front end of the, the, the sermon. All right, we'll get there. Uh, so this, this is us traveling on the bus. It's, I think it's the next one. Nope, next one. Getting closer. Getting closer. There it is. Hi, it's, it's Stephen. I want you to see um, our new optometrist. This is Adam. <laughs> and he there it is. Just, uh, fit, Told you. Um, our cook. Uh, with some glasses uh, and the reading glasses and what 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 you need what we understand here and what we learn here is that glasses whether they're reading glasses or actual um, glasses that you get at the optometry prescription they don't have those and so they often go um, years without being able to really read much of anything so uh, as you can see, Adam was helping him find the right glasses at the right strength so that he can begin to read. So this is one of the things we do here uh, when we come to a church. Um, and uh, we just want to bless and equip and empower people uh, in Cuba, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I want to invite you um, to not only lend a hand, but to come uh, the next time that we come to Cuba. Uh, because you, your presence is important in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ, and they will impact you in such amazing, amazing ways. We love you. We'll see you soon. Hand it over here. All right. Hi, it's, it's uh, Steven. Go to the next picture. There you go. So that video was before something really happened for you. Can you describe what went down between you and Juan Carlos? So Juan Carlos is the guy standing in the back there holding the glasses. Uh, He's a fisherman. Him and another guy goes out 20 miles, 
20 miles off Cuba and fishes for a week at a time. So that was my job. We went to the churches and I would go through glasses. Everybody here needed glasses. So he was trying to find reading glasses at work and couldn't find any that worked for him. So we had a bag that didn't have any numbers on it and had prescription glasses in it. So he started going through that one and he come across a pair of sunglasses that were prescription glasses and he put them on and then next thing you know, he'd look and find something in the distance and he'd go like this. <laughs> he just kept going like that. He'd find something a little bit further away and he'd do the same thing. So he found the perfect prescription for him, made in sunglasses. Like that's a big deal being out on the ocean for a week at a time. Like I told Steven, so I don't speak any Spanish. So a lot of the places we went to, unless someone was translating, I didn't know what was going on. Obviously, they're happy, they're smiling, they're crying. <laughs> but I didn't know what was going on with this guy. Like I told him, there was no translation needed. Like, in my opinion, his life completely changed with them glasses that he found. Like I said, being out on the ocean, I, I don't do well outside at all without sunglasses. So on the ocean, there's, I couldn't do it. And I don't know. It was just really cool being that he found the perfect prescription and sunglasses for him. Yep. You know, uh, for many, walking inside of a church for the first time is a brave thing. It's a risk. And we, we're risk takers here. And Adam, you took a risk going on this trip. Uh, you didn't know what to expect. No. Um, you, really, you, you don't eat anything outside of like burgers and cheese. <laughs> I have a very strict diet. <laughs> <laughs> so good, dude. <laughs> so this, this whole experience was well outside of... Do you have the picture of the teeth? <laughs> I, 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 no, no. I ate fish with teeth on this trip. <laughs> That's generally what fish have. No. You didn't eat the teeth. No. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, oh, dear Lord. He, <laughs> all right. I'll just let you in on this one. He's like, bro, I don't eat fish. Mm -mm. I don't eat lobster. I don't eat any of that stuff. And that was the meal. It was fish and lobster. And he was sitting on the end of the table. And I'm digging into this, this fish that is so good, and I'm looking over, and he's just kind of <laughs> shaking his head. It was rough. <laughs> but you, <laughs> how, how, did, how did this impact your heart, man? How did this whole trip, if you could sum it up in a few sentences, how did this impact Adam? A few sentences ain't enough. I'd, okay. 
the trip was amazing. Yeah. Um, I know we got it good over here. Them people, they live rough. Oh. Are you uh, are you ready to go again? Yes. What would you say to the person sitting out here who's listening to this story who, man, that may not be for me. It may be for me. I don't know. You I don't won't even know fish. unless you try. You, don't, you won't know unless you try. It'll, it'll change your outlook on everything. Absolutely. In a positive way. Absolutely. Well, he was an absolute workhorse <laughs> on this trip, which afforded him a lot of opportunity to be one of the key folk to help people, um, men, women, kids, find shoes that fit, find glasses that work for them. Uh, you were kind of ground level for that. Um, thank you for taking that risk and Absolutely. representing these wonderful people and, and Jesus there and Jesus there. I told you it wouldn't be too long. All right. Thanks, brother. <laughs> Such a great guy. I think he made a good friend of Paul. Paul was his buddy because Paul just kept, kept asking him, hey, go get that suitcase. And there went Adam. He would get the suitcase. Uh, Brendan, this next story I don't have a picture for. But as, as Adam said, you could tell that, I mean, even if you didn't understand the language, there were certain things that translated. There was a couple by the name of Susanna and Crolando. We bumped up onto the street, pulled in front of this beautifully walled house. And Susanna was this short, petite young lady who was a spitfire. She was probably no, more, no older than 30 years old. Found out that she was a pediatrician. And she was just vibrant. She could speak English very, very well. Her husband, Crolando, could not. Uh, they invited us into the home, which was not their own. The home actually belonged to one of the ladies of the, that was a part of the church. And in fact, they actually would meet, the church would meet on their porch periodically. And so we sat in the shaded porch, and the, the homeowner and her daughter, like most Cubans do, they offered us cafe, coffee. And they made coffee, and we, we sat on their porch and listened to conversations as Paul would ask Susanna how she and Crolando met, and they shared their stories, and they laughed, and again... If you don't know Spanish, you really don't know what's going on some of the time. Other times, went pretty well here. Crolando, his passion is sports. And so he and his wife, the pediatrician, 
they decided to have a sports ministry. And on the western side of the island, soccer has taken over more than baseball. When I think Cuba, I think baseball. I don't know about you. And so Crolando took us about a quarter mile down the road to uh, a space that would fit within this room. And this is where the sports ministry would take place. And Lionel, which is the district superintendent in Cuba for the Church of the Nazarene, and Lionel D., his son, uh, who's the mission coordinator, the work and witness coordinator for Cuba, Crolando was talking about the vision for this small space where they play sports. And it was evident that Crolando wanted to purchase the space because it was public property. I couldn't tell what was being said. And as Adam had mentioned, you can kind of tell. One thing I learned in Peru, which was evident in that conversation, was that passion translates. Passion transfers. You may not understand what they're saying, but you can see the passion that Crolando had for the kids of his community and for Jesus Christ. The takeaway because I don't want to just share stories with you. The takeaway is, God has put within you passions. For some of you, it may be quilting. I don't know. For others, it could be sports. It could be sewing. It could be guitar. It could be singing. Crafts. Social work. I don't know what the passion that God has put within you, but what He wants to do is for you to use that for the people in your community, for the people that you know, to bring heaven on earth in the lives of the people that you have yet to meet. And so I strongly encourage you, like Crolando and his wife Susanna, figure out your passion and unleash it. Let God use it. Yolandre was another passionate person. I do have pictures for this, Brendan. It should be the next one coming up. Thanks for being back there, buddy. Appreciate you. Uh, keep going. <clears throat> there we go. So the bus, the magic bus, we were on this bus forever. The magic bus rolled into a roundabout. Right on right near the Park of Independence. And we were waiting for the next pastor to meet. And so that was where we had an opportunity to go shopping for something to drink. And that was our first, that was our first taste of pineapple soda. And let me just tell you, it was delicious. Never had it before. It was great. But Yolandre rolls up on a motorbike. And we follow him to his parsonage where he stays, and he gets on the bus. And we travel with Yolandre for almost two hours up into the mountains. And this is where he meets with 
Jurillus and Rydelli. See, Yolandre was described by Paul as sharp. And you can see the intent in, in Yolandre's eyes. He, he was a very, very sharp guy. And let me just tell you, I know for the, you, the American church, um, being in this role, you, you kind of hear a lot of things about pastors in, in the Church of the Nazarene, uh, in the Western culture, and how there's a vacancy of pastors, and particularly young pastors. In Cuba, a majority of the 30 pastors that we met were in their 20s and 30s. I would say 90% of the pastors that we met. There's a vibrant presence right now, and a vibrant movement that's happening in Cuba. And Yolandre is one of them. He pastors his own church, but he also pastors the pastors of nine other churches. And it's up in the mountains here that we visited uh, Yarilis and Rydell. Could you hit the next picture, please? This is Yarilis and Rydelli and their daughter, Alexandria. When they married, Eurylus did not believe in Jesus. He did not follow Jesus. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He loved sports, though. But somehow he came to Christ. And when he came to Christ, it was very soon after that people started to see something in him. And they kept saying, you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be a pastor. And he, like me, said, no, I'm not. I don't want to be a pastor. But what, it is, what he decided to do was start a, a baseball league. And through that baseball league, he was bringing Christ to the men and the kids that he connected with. Again, find your passion, use it. Bring people to Jesus through it. And as a result of that... God was moving in his life, and yes, he received the call to be a pastor. He quit fighting, kind of like I did, and said, let's go for the ride. So he and his wife started this church up on the mountain. And can you hit the next pick? You can see that this building is very small. It's about 20 by 30. It will definitely fit in this room. It's actually probably about the size, maybe, of this section and a little bit more. They fit 130 in that building on a Sunday. That's phenomenal. Talk about deodorant. Right? You better be wearing it. And so it was... It was here that the ball gloves that Jeff Kunselman, who was our previous district superintendent, he gave us a huge duffel bag full of baseball gloves and softballs and baseballs and bats and a couple hats. Um, we were able to bless Eurylis and Rydelli with that bag full of ball gloves. And this was that that moment. You can see it at his feet right there. They just knew that this would expand their impact and their influence up in the mountains and in the communities. In fact, they chose not to be in leagues with 
Christian teams. They actually are in leagues with teams that are unbelievers because they want to connect with people and they want to bring people to Jesus. It was here. Can you click the next pick? Oh, there's another. There you go. One more, please. It was here that our team learned about Yolandre and his wife. It was on the way up, we learned that Yolandre's wife was actually in surgery, having a hysterectomy as she had benign tissue that had been growing that is causing severe problems. Now before you give the business to Yolandre, believing that he needs to be at his wife's side, he wasn't allowed. In Cuba, if you're about to have surgery, family cannot visit the patient 24 hours before the surgery or 24 hours after the surgery. Wait, there's more. When someone's expected to have a surgery, the family is to provide all aspects for that surgery, whether it's gauze, medications, anything needed in that surgery, the family is to provide for that before the surgery occurs. And you, as family, are to provide every member of the surgical staff with a meal that day. Lastly, once the surgery is over, you are to connect with each of the surgical staff at their home and bring a gift. Ladies and gentlemen, regardless how bad we have it or we think we have it in our system, we have it pretty well. The night before this, we found out that Yolandre was on the phone with his wife, really, really nervous about the next day, because obviously she's going under the knife, but he was definitely very concerned about how he was going to afford the surgery for his wife. As the team caught wind and the magnitude of responsibility that is held by the family, and that Yolandre himself, as a pastor, didn't have a whole lot. Pastors in Cuba, they make anywhere between eight to twelve dollars a month. Let's keep that in scope. If you're a pediatrician like Susanna or a doctor like uh, Karen who was on the trip with us, who was from Baracoa on the other side of the island, regardless where you are, what type of doctor you are, you make only $20 a month. See, many of us have chosen the careers that we are in, or some of us like to think that we've chosen those careers for us. In Cuba, you're tested, and then they check your skill set. Like Juan Carlos was tested and they checked his skill set. The government determined based on the testing and his skill set that he will provide for society by means of fisher, fishing. 
Susanna was tested, and her skill set was, we see that you will provide for our society through being a pediatrician. Pastors are not regarded by the government as worthwhile professions. So they're making anywhere between 8 and $12 a month. Put that into perspective. A dozen eggs is $10 U.S. dollars. A small jar of oil is about $3. You can do the math. There's not a lot to go around. When the team heard what was happening and the concern for Yolandre, immediately the team went into action, just like the church should. Nobody asked anyone. People just started pulling money out and said to Paul, we want to help Yolandre. There was a lot that was given. And Paul, in his wisdom, split some things. But Yolandre received the cash a little bit later in private. Yolandre told Paul, he said, you don't know what this means for me. But Paul also turned it around and said, you don't know what this means for us. See, our God, starting even in Genesis chapter 1, our God is a generous God. And honestly, I think one of the closest ways that we can become like God is by being extravagantly generous with what He's This is not a ploy for you to give money to the church. It's to check our heart and understand that we are blessed regardless what little or what lot that we have. He really does desire us to be generous for the well-being and the elevation of other people. So, Yolandre... The motorbike that he rolled up on was a borrowed motorbike. How he gets to the mountains to meet with Eurylus and Ardelli is that he hops a truck that leaves Pinar del Rio, Pine of the River, where he's from, at 7 p.m. in the evening. Takes about two hours to get to the mountains. And then at 9 o'clock or so, he's able to connect with the pastors and see what their needs are, to pray over them, to talk about vision, to care for the congregation. And he stays there at the church. And then at 5 a.m., when the truck leaves the town, he hops the truck and goes back home two hours back. So Amy and I picked up on this, and we said, that's our VBA project. What we are going to do this VBA, Vacation Bible Adventure, is for our Penny March, we are going to raise funds to provide a motorbike for Yolandre. That's going to cost 3000 
3,000 U.S. dollars. Uh, we, we have the means and the contact to get the funds to Yolandre. He doesn't know about this yet. And so um, that is our vision for Vacation Bible Adventure. Anything above and beyond that, uh, we're going to figure out what else we can do with that. But our goal is that 3000 If your heart's already moved by that, you can go online to wapaknaz.org backslash give. VBA Penny March is already up and active for you. Um, but that's, that's our vision because what that will do, since he's the pastor of pastors as well as his own congregation, this is going to enable him to get to these places much quicker with more access and availability. Because again, it's about presence, isn't it? Being present with people, eyeball to eyeball, face to face. It was two weeks ago, today, we entered into a pre-revolutionary church for our second service of the morning. I say pre-revolutionary church because churches that were prior to the revolution that Fidel Castro had had brought forth on the island. Um, once the revolution and the regime took power around 1959, there was a campaign by Castro to nationalize or occupy property that had foreign investors. Missionaries from the Church of the Nazarene had come in just about 20 years before. And churches that were prior to the revolution had the American names on the deeds. And so when the regime would come in, the military would come in and just basically take over that property. In fact, the Nazarene Seminary in about 1961 or 1962, the military came in with many, many trucks and went into all the buildings of the seminary and removed all of the materials, financial records, learning material, educational material, Bibles, and tossed them into the trucks like trash, thus occupying the Nazarene Seminary. Ironically, uh, 60 years almost to date, Hurricane Ian came through and destroyed that property. <laughs> but where the Nazarene Seminary is now, didn't even touch it. Wasn't even phased. Isn't that great? So anyhow, a pre-revolutionary church was a church that was in the hands of foreign investors or American names or other names that weren't American, missionaries, and they immediately signed it over to a Cuban, trusted Cuban individual, so that the government couldn't, couldn't come in and occupy it. So two weeks ago, we entered into this building that remained a Church of the Nazarene for now 60-some years. And we slid in, like most Americans do, into the back seating so nobody can recognize us, so we don't disturb anything. And we were a part of service and worship. And 
We watched this pastor of eight years bringing the gospel. And I didn't know a single word he said. All I could find was the scripture that was on the screen and read the scripture and go, oh, that's really good. In talking with the pastor outside his church, I discovered that he knew his neighborhood very, very well. He knew all the neighbors by name, even though they didn't go to his church. That his church had been carved out since COVID. It wasn't because of the sickness itself. It was because of how very little access to medications and health and well-being the people had. And so most of his church, probably half of his church, had left to make their way here to the United States. And he asked me, did I know what he was talking about during his service? And I said, no. (laughs) Jesus, maybe? Jesus Christo? And he said, it was a very key question, and it's a cross-cultural question that all of us need to answer. He said, when Christ returns, because our theology says that Jesus Christ will come again. We believe that because he said that. When Christ returns, what will he find in your heart? What will the content of your heart be? And so the sermon that he gave, he said, the content of our heart should be himself. The content of your heart should be Christ. So when Christ comes, he sees himself in you. When Christ comes, he should see purity. That your heart is pure, that does not come from you, that comes from him. He said, when Christ comes, he should find compassion for the poor. Now, I understand the irony in that statement. A poor pastor preaching to poor people to have compassion on poor people. These are the most generous people that you will meet. When Christ comes, will the content of your heart be filled with love and service to your neighbor? And so that's the question today. What's the content of your heart? If you really looked at it, exposed it, To you. What would spill out on the table? Would it be selflessness or selfishness? Would it be bitterness and anger? Would it be hate? Or would it be the content of Christ's heart himself? Our hope here at Wapak Naz is that 
however long you begin to journey inside of this group of misfits that we call Wapaknaz, this tribe. But the content of your heart becomes less of you and more of Jesus Christ. I invite you. We don't know when we're going to go, but we're going again. We will be on that that soil, that Cuban soil again to see those pastors, their congregations, to hug them, to give them the holy kiss, to bless them, to empower them, to equip them, to pray over them, to sing with them, to have coffee with them. Trust me, if you don't like coffee, you will. Adam didn't like coffee. He likes it now. I just want to encourage you. When the time comes and you see the promotional go up on the screen, I hope you've already predecided that you're going to go. And that you're going to be an impact. Sure. I'm sorry. He ate everything. He ate it all, my friend. <laughs> he, he tried it, man. He, try, he, he tried everything. And so, this is your invitation to be a risk taker. To be bold and courageous. So we're going to go again. And I invite you to be there. But in the meantime, be on mission here. With the people that you're with. Love your community. Jesus said, said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you love one another. This, by this, this is how they will know that you're my disciples. By how you love one another. And by doing that, you overflow onto the people that are not a part of the body. And they slowly become attracted to the heart of God in you. Do you mind just bowing your heads? Lord, I'm grateful for each and every individual that we got to meet. Names we couldn't pronounce. They couldn't pronounce our names. But we were able to see their faces. And the love in their eyes, the joy that they had, the passion of reaching people for Jesus. Lord, I'm asking for that for us. We may not be called to be pastors. But what we are called 
is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people we know, that we have relationships with. And sometimes that, that stranger. We're called to make disciples. We're called to purity. We're called to holiness. We're called to forgiveness and generosity. We're called to wholeness and completeness. We're called to love, be kind. Quite frankly, to sum it up, we're called to love you, to love ourself, and to love our neighbor. And all of those start with you, Jesus. So I ask that this group of people here, sitting here today, and those that are connected here, those that are listening online, that they step into what they've been called, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, marked by love, that love of Jesus. So Lord, I ask that you grant us your favor. And that you use us. You use us with our passions, with our positions, high and low, with our jobs, with our talents, and everything that you've entrusted us. Use it for your glory and to bring people to Jesus. Because you make a world of difference in our world. I love you, Father. Thank you for these opportunities to share. It is in your name that we ask today. Amen. Would you please stand? Thanks for listening to these stories. Thanks for being a missional church. Because you are. You really are. So today, I ask that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? Don't forget life groups. You will not, you will not miss that. Please don't miss this opportunity to take a risk. There it is. Thanks, man. I love you, dude. Uh, you guys have a great day. Go get some coffee. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you were moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you were moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.